Matthew 18, 10 through 14. It says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. And for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. It's a joy to join you today on the Lord's Day, the Resurrection Day, to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus as we do every first day of the week. We have a card coming around to you. We're going to try to get one of those uh, to each person. If, if each of you would take one of those, not just one for each family, but each of you would take uh, one of these. You may recognize these as the cards that we uh, encourage you to take with you to be able to give out to people, let them know who we are, how they can contact us, and maybe even write a personal message on the back. I'm going to ask you to do something different with this card today, but I wanted you to have something that would be the size of something you can fit in your wallet to maybe have our church logo on there as a reminder to you of the challenge at the end of our sermon today. So just hold on to that for now. We will come back to that in a few moments at the end of our sermon with the challenge. Have you noticed, for those of you that use social media, have you noticed the pictures that get the most likes, that get the most reaction whenever you're online and you share them. They are almost always the ones of our little ones. And what do I mean by little ones? Well, I mean small children. I mean your pets, your animals, especially the tinier that they are, the puppies. And even sometimes the sweet little old lady who's the great-grandmother who's turning 100 years old. She's a little one too. These are the types of pictures that usually get a reaction on there. They get the, the like or the love, and they have in the comments where people use words such as sweet, cute, or precious. We also, whenever we see little ones, we get very defensive about our little ones, don't we? Not even those who belong to you necessarily, not just your pets, not just your kids, not just your sweet little old lady in your family. You get very defensive and very offended if you ever hear a story or observe it in your own mind of one of those little ones being neglected or being abused, being overlooked in some way. In Matthew chapter 18... Jesus is going to start this chapter with a little one. He's going to take a child and he's going to use that child to teach an object lesson like Jesus often does. He is going to take that child and he's going to tell his disciples who he senses in them some arrogance and he says, unless you take on the humility of this child, unless you have a childlike humility, a childlike faith, you're not going to be a part of my kingdom. You can't be. You've got to receive it like this child would, like this little one would. But that's not the only point that he is making by bringing a child here. Basically what he is telling us there is that 
all of us need to become as a little one in that sense. And along with that, we need to start seeing other people as little ones, as precious ones. In fact, the way he is going to use this expression is going to come up three times in this chapter wherever he is going to refer to little ones. Check them out with me. One of them is at the end of this first section of the chapter, chapter 18, verse 6, where he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, since Jesus is talking about his kingdom and those who would potentially become a part of his kingdom, he's no longer just talking about children when he says this as little ones. He's talking about anyone who has a faith in him or could potentially have a faith in him. And yet you present something that would hinder their relationship with Jesus, that person's relationship with Jesus. He's not just talking about children. This is adults and children. The little ones are those who are precious in his sight. Maybe they're young in their faith. Maybe they haven't even come to that faith yet, but, but you're working with them. Maybe they are more mature in their faith, but they are in some type of vulnerability. He's comparing them with children because he wants us to put the same value, the same defensiveness that we would have for a child who is in a position of need. He wants us to see people that way. He wants us to put the same value on every person. One of these little ones. Look at his next use of it. Chapter 18, verse 10, at the beginning of our scripture reading for today. See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that there are angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Again, not just talking about the children. He is talking about people here. Specifically here, he says that if you despise, we might say neglect, to see people as a little one. And by the way, that doesn't mean we belittle them. It doesn't mean we patronize them. That just means that we treat each person as if that person is as precious as a child to us. If you do despise one of these little ones, one of these little ones, one is our key word for our sermon today. He says it's an affront to the angels in heaven. And it's an affront to the Father. It's not just an affront to humanity. It's an affront to the heavenly realm as well. One more time, he's going to use this expression at the end of this little section after the parable we're about to get into. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven. There's that expression again. That one of these little ones perish. Little ones. Have that in mind as we proceed. Because here's what Jesus is about to do. He's about to change the metaphor a little bit or expand the metaphor a little bit. And now he's going to put us in the realm of a shepherd and his sheep. The same ideas are being discussed here, but he's going to get a little more specific with it. He's going to talk about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep in his care. 
He's responsible for those sheep. He's a steward of those sheep. And we read enough in other parts of the Bible of what all goes into shepherding sheep. It's a very involved job. You cannot just let... You can't have a laissez-faire approach to shepherding of sheep. They will wander everywhere. Uh, they are not the smartest animals in the world. But they are precious to the shepherd. Every one of them should be. And this particular shepherd that Jesus is going to talk about... He has a group of 100 sheep. Well, there's 99 sheep in particular that are mentioned at the beginning of this because there is one of those sheep. In some sense, he's wandered off as sheep are prone to do, and so he's on his way out. Now, here's the point that Jesus is about to get to here. We could look at this and we could say, well, the shepherd sees the big number of the 99. And he sees, well, I've still got most of my flock here. I've got 99% of my flock here. You know, just attrition rates being what they are, we've got to accept that that one is going to wander off and that's okay. Let him go. I've got my 99. We'll find a replacement for him. We'll get back to our 100. We'll exceed 100. He's gone. Let's not be concerned there. We've got more important matters to focus on, and that's the 99, because there are 99% more that are there. But that is not what this parable's focus is on. This parable's focus is on how this shepherd is concerned enough for the one that he is willing to go after the one and not just be concerned about the group as a whole. Now, I often say to you when you're studying the Bible or when you're talking with, with people or just discussing ideas in general, not to miss the forest because you get too caught up in each individual tree. And that's true. I think we've got to be careful about that. That expression is a very good one. It's a, it's a lot of wisdom that is there that we need to, to step back and take a big picture view when we're talking about anything. But I'm also going to warn you of another tendency that we have, and that's the opposite it's true as well. We can just step back and take the big picture view so much that we don't zoom in on the view of one. You ever watch sporting events and you get the blimp view? You get the aerial shots from way up above? It's pretty neat. Sometimes they won't just show the stadium, but they'll show the parking lots and they'll show the city if it's in a big city and they'll, they'll show the big picture setting and then you hear the attendance announced at something like a baseball game. Maybe it's somewhere around 40,000, 45,000, something like that. At many football games or soccer games, there's far more than that that are packed in to this stadium and you get this big view of all these numbers that are there. We like that view. But can you imagine watching the whole game from that view? Can you imagine the details that you would miss? Would you be able to know what was actually going on on the field? Would you be able to know when there was one less fan because someone had left out of the stadium? You see, I think we get stuck on the blimp view so much when we talk about church, when we talk about the world, and there's value there. But we forget the value of focusing on one individual and how much we need that still. I like the close-ups when I watch the game too. I like to see the expressions of each player. I like to see when they zoom in on a fan and see their reaction to what is going on. 
We need those intimate moments. We need to know that these are real people, not just numbers that we're talking about. And it's the same way when we talk about the world and when we talk about the church. When we take the blimp view, what's the blimp view? Here's one form of the blimp view. It's kind of fitting that our attendance last Sunday, 100. I haven't counted today. If we have 99, what will you do with that? Will you say, well, it's just one less. We still had 99. We have, you know, it's still good attendance. We're going to expect some attrition. That's okay. But who's the one who was here last week that wasn't here this week? Will it make a difference to that one if you actually go and seek the one? to go from the blimp view to the focus on one. We have to. One of the classic preacher stories, I don't know that I've told it here, but you've probably heard it a million times, but I think it's applicable today. It's the boy who's walking on the beach. You've you've probably heard it. It's okay, it's a classic. And he sees all the starfish that are there. And he starts taking the starfish, which belong out in the ocean. That's the only way they're going to survive. They're stranded up on the beach. And he starts taking each one of them, tossing them back in the water. Somebody else comes along and says, what are you doing? There's thousands of starfish up here. There, There may be millions of starfish. You can't make a difference with all of them. That's the blimp view. You know what the boy responds with? He says it made a difference to that one. That's the focus on one. That's what Jesus says about this shepherd here in this passage. He's concerned about one. We like numbers. And don't get me wrong, there are some big numbers in the Bible that get us excited. Think about some of them. When the people come out of their exodus, they take a census of the people. What started with one family of Abraham, and now they're about to take the land of Canaan, and they take a census, and they've got 603,550 people, just the men of war. That's not even just the men and the women and children and the older men and the younger men. That's that's just the men of war that they, they count up. That's a huge number. That's exciting. We see that they have developed into a nation. They've become like the sand on the seashore, the stars in the heavens, just everything that Abraham had been promised. What about this one? You read Revelation, you get chapter 5, verse 11, and you see that John's vision has myriads and myriads of thousands and thousands of angels. That's a big number that gets us excited. Jesus has these huge crowds that come and follow him, and we like that. 5,000 people that he takes. And you remember what he does? He takes the food that a boy has, one of these little ones. He takes his food and he multiplies it. It's enough to feed 5,000 men plus the women and the children. That's a huge number. That's a huge event. We get excited about it and we should. What happens at Pentecost? Acts chapter 2 verse 41. I cannot even fathom being a preacher and preaching a gospel sermon and having 3,000 people baptized. How exciting would that be? Would that get you fired up to see that? We like big numbers and we should. But balance that with some other things that you're going to read of in the scriptures. 
There are extended sections in the scriptures that demonstrate how Jesus and even how his followers are to be like this shepherd who are focused on one. Think about some of these. There's just a few of them I'm going to throw out there. Luke chapter 10, Jesus is going to tell us a parable. He's going to tell us a parable about one man between these cities of Jerusalem and Jericho who had been beaten, he had been left for dead. And you'll remember the people that passed him by were the religious people who probably have more important things to be concerned about because they have more of a blimp view of things. And they knew that this one person in their mind was inconsequential to their big picture, and so they pass him by. They don't do anything for him. It's the Samaritan who stops and has the concern for the one person and goes out of his way to make sure the one man is taken care of. In John chapter 3, if you just have a blimp view of the Pharisees in the Scriptures, then you're going to come away with the impression that none of these guys are worth your time. As a group, as a whole, they look like they are just, as Jesus would say sometimes, the general view of them is that they are hypocritical. But Jesus senses one of them. He's a man by the name of Nicodemus who approaches Jesus and Jesus doesn't just cast him off as part of this group. I don't have time to waste on you. He sees one man that he is interested in spending time with and having a conversation with. And that's the majority of John chapter 3. is an extended dialogue between Jesus and this one man who he senses some interest in. You go to the next chapter in John. You have another group that people had just cast off as a whole. The whole chapter is centered around Jesus' conversation, his dialogue with one person. She's a woman from Samaria, and they are around a well talking. John chapter 9. The whole chapter centers around the impact that Jesus has had on one man who was born blind and now he can see because Jesus took time with him and not only healed him, but by the end of the chapter he's come to acknowledge who Jesus really is. Whole extended section focused on the impact on one person. Luke chapter 19. Another group that we just say, the blimp view is the tax collectors aren't worth spending our time with. Zacchaeus. One man that Jesus calls out among this crowd in Jericho and says, I want to come to your house today. I don't want to just speak to this crowd. I want to spend some time with you. I want to see your needs. I want to talk to you about faith. Acts chapter 8. In all these, these languages in the book of Acts of all these thousands of people that are becoming Christians, and that's exciting. But again, Acts doesn't just talk about the preaching to the masses. There is an extended section that is there in Acts chapter 8 that shows us that one of these disciples of Jesus by the name of Philip is spending some time with one man who's traveling back to Ethiopia. And he shares Jesus with him. Focus on one. 
Acts chapter 9 is another passage focusing on one. It's one persecutor of the church. The whole chapter is about his story of how an encounter with Jesus is going to change him. He's eventually going to be known as the Apostle Paul. Aren't you glad there was concern for the one there? Because sometimes the concern for the one is the key to unlocking the impact on countless numbers. You never know the one starfish that you throw back into the ocean to save it. You never know how many others are going to be impacted by the salvation of that one. Acts 10 one Roman centurion. All the things Peter could be doing. God says, Peter, I want you to travel. Go to this one man and talk to him. Concern for one. Leo Tolstoy, he writes a short story. It was written in 1857. It takes place in a Swiss town called Lucerne. And you might remember the middle of the 19th century was a time when a lot of people were, were waking up to global needs. A lot of Christians were, were saying, okay, well, we need to get the word out to the rest of the world and we need to make a bigger impact on the world globally. And, and there was a lot of good that came out of that period. A lot of renewed focus on mission work coming out of that period. What goes on in Tolstoy's story is that this, this town, and this Swiss town, there's a group of, of supposed Christians, professing Christians, who are meeting in this, this hall where they are going to discuss some global affairs and how they can help with what's going on in other parts of the world. But what the story centers around is one man who's a citizen of that town. He's a beggar. And he's very poor. He's homeless, in fact. He sleeps on straw. He has pain that he deals with chronically. He has a, a rheumatoid condition that he deals with. with so much pain in his feet that he can barely walk. He can't work. He does sit out as people pass by and he plays the guitar and he sings. And he's simply asking for some help as he's providing some art for them, some uh, that. And these people who are supposed to be going to their Christian meeting talking about what's going on around the world and how to help all these numbers of people who are in need, they're not only neglecting him, overlooking him, many of them are mocking him. They're laughing at him. Here's what Tolstoy says. Why is it that these people who in their palaces, their meetings, and their societies labor warmly for the condition of the celibate Chinese in India, about the spread of Christianity and culture in Africa, about the formation of societies for attaining all perfection, why is it that they should not find in their souls the simple primitive, human, primitive feeling of human sympathy? Why does he say that? Because here they are, concerned about the blimp view of everything that's going on in the world, how we're going to help people in need, and one person who is in need right in front of them, they've missed. It's easier to pray for orphans in India than it is to get involved with orphans in our own county 
It's easier to vote for people with programs for the homeless than it is to take time for the conversations and with someone who is homeless, maybe even actually taking time and some money to buy them a meal and personally have a conversation with them. It's easier to send your money to work going on in Nigeria or Ukraine, and we should be doing that. We should be doing these things, and we should be thinking about big picture and stuff everywhere. But that, I'm convinced that's easier to do that than it is to actually talk about faith with a coworker or neighbor that you know. Is it not? It's easier for me to say up here from the pulpit or for one of you to make a comment in Bible class whenever we're gathered here together that we need everyone to show up to meet. When we're here, we need you here. I'm not saying we shouldn't say those things. We should. But that's easier for me to do than it is for me to pick up my phone to find someone who hasn't been here and to actually pick up my phone or actually go to their place and to have a loving conversation of why they haven't been here or they haven't been as involved and see if there's a real physical or spiritual concern there that we can pray about. It's easier to mass produce materials that we mail out or we email out or we post on social media or as people used to do in the old days, some of the political activists would actually air bomb leaflets everywhere for people and they would think that that's their work, that's going to change people, is just dropping paper from the sky. That's a lot easier to do than it is to take the time to have a conversation and talk to and listen to and pray with one individual so that if you do give them something, like a business card or, or a little information, that it actually has some meaning attached to it. There's actually some, a person that they can associate with that. I'm convinced it's easier to love humanity than it is to really love one human. It's easier to care for the hundred than it is to really care for the one. Here's my challenge for you today. I ask you to pull out that card. I want you to flip the back of it where you've got some blank space. Find a pen, find a pencil, something that's close to you. You probably got one in the back of the pew in front of you. I want you to write down three things on your card. This is your challenge for the week, and I hope this is something that you, you keep with you. I want you to write down three names on this card. Names of an individual or maybe a couple. But the first thing I want you to write down, one person who you haven't seen present with us here at Rockville during the last two or three weeks, maybe longer. One person or couple, if it's a couple, which you will try to contact this week to let them know how much you love them, that they're missed, to see if there's anything we can pray about for them. One person. The second thing I want you to write down, one neighbor or co-worker specific name here this is just for you to have I'm not taking these up this is for you to take with you one neighbor or co-worker which you will commit to be praying for trying to get to know better 
and to share your faith with and to invite to visit our congregation. One person that you're going to commit to be working with. And then the third thing is this. I want you to write down one person who you sense from what you know, what you sense at least, could use either a financial gift or a gift of service that you could offer to this person. One person who has a need that you have sensed. If no one is coming to your mind immediately, I'll give you permission to leave that one blank for now, but with the expectation that the next person who comes along, that you know there is some need that you will commit to rendering whatever service or financial gift that you can offer to that person. Now that's just three of the ways that I see an application of Jesus' parable here. If you really regard those pictures that you see on Facebook as precious, and they are, do you really see each person who's been made in the image of God and who may not be in the right relationship with God, who may be struggling with something, do you see one person that you see as as precious as God sees them? Will you do something for them? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that you've loved us, that you have given each of us a name, that you have prepared for each of us a name on a stone. shows us that you're not just concerned about the numbers, about the group, but you know each of us. May we take the time to get to know individuals. May we see the big picture, but may we also zoom in on the small picture, on what is going on in an individual's life. Show us how to do that, how to love more, how to care more, how to not overlook opportunities right in front of our noses. Give us more of an awareness and more of a love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today, we want to encourage you, if you have questions about your relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ, if you're not sure, maybe you are the one who you think you see yourself and that's everything we talked about today. Maybe you're the one who has been wandering on the mountains. And maybe we haven't encouraged you enough. But today is a moment when you can recommit Jesus is always there wanting you to come. He says, all who are thirsty, come and drink. He wants you back with him. If you need to make that right today, if it's sharing something with us that we can be praying about on your behalf, if it's recommitting yourself to Christ, if it's saying that you want to study more about what it means to become a part of Jesus in the first place, of, of confessing a genuine faith in him, that he is your Lord, your Savior, risen from the dead, that, that you want to be baptized into him for the forgiveness of your sins, that you're willing to walk with him now in, in repentance from turning from where you have been, that you want to come back to him, walk with him. If you have a need today, please come together. We stand and as we sing.